All right, you guys ready for Money Sunday? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We got some energy. Davey in the back, I love this. Twice a year, we come before the church and we have Vision Sunday and Money Sunday. Vision Sunday is talking about where we're going as a church. We address some of the major hurdles that stand um, between us and accomplishing our vision. And then twice a year, um, right after Vision Sunday, we talk about money. And we want to make sure that this is something that um, believers in Jesus think biblically about, live biblically, and feel biblically about money. So, um, Village Church, you've been absolutely, truly amazing to me. I think this might be our 10th Money Sunday message and uh, over the last five or six years. And uh, every time, just the encouragement from the church of, you know, Michael, I know some people are afraid of talking about money, but um, just the encouragement for us to continue to put um, what God's Word says and keep it before his people. So um, usually when we talk, excuse me, usually when we talk about um, money, um, there are some of you who come with a lot of baggage around this issue. And uh, also there's usually, I would call it just a sensitivity and an understanding that some people come at this from a very different place. And what I want to do this morning, I want to ask your permission to do, is go at this just a little bit more directly. Are you guys okay with that? Some of you are like, no, I'd really prefer you to like be real soft. No. So we're going to go at this kind of directly, and uh, my goal for you is to help you think biblically, feel biblically, and live biblically in how you view um, money. I want to do a review of last week. We talked about three E's, the three um, things that every time you come to church, right, this is your syllabus, this is your job description, you come to worship, we'll say any gathering um, where God's word is central and being taught, um, the question you have to deal with is, what am I supposed to do? What do I? bring to the table. And the first E we said is exalt. You come to the table, you come through our church doors to explicitly lift up the name of Jesus to worship him. The second E we talked about is evangelize, that the Bible has this category, there's a sensitivity to unbelievers that are in the church. Although this is not primarily for them, we do things with a sensitivity that there are not people who believe in Jesus here. We continually proclaim the gospel. The way we interact is in such a way that puts Jesus very high in a pedestal that makes people see him and want to worship him. And the third E, which is where we went deep, is the word edify. And this is the word that um, literally means it's like taking, uh, imagining somebody is an unfinished home. And so every interaction we have with them is like taking a brick and putting it on that house so that because they interacted with us, they are um, one step closer to maturity in Christ or completion. And so we come to the table, to church, ready to edify or to build up. So every Sunday, your responsibility that you will be accountable before God is to exalt Jesus Christ, to evangelize or take people into consideration who don't know Jesus, and to edify your brothers and sisters in Jesus. And we had a few takeaways that I want to remind you of. And the first is this, that God has given every single believer in Jesus 100% a ministry, activity, service, or gift that you and I are responsible to bring to the table 100% of the time, we gather with God's people. So the idea that me being a spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, somebody who's trusted in Christ, received the Holy Spirit, that I come to church and that I am not exalting Christ, being sensitive to unbelievers, or building up on purpose, proactively, somebody else through a ministry, service, activity, or gift is not thinkable. That's not what Christians do. Spirit-filled believers come ready to give and to serve. We also saw that the movement of the Holy Spirit in, our, in and through us is directly connected 
to our ministry or service. If you don't buy that one, go listen to the message from last week. And we walked through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and we saw that um, if we want to be people who the Holy Spirit moves in us and through us, we need to be people who are serving or edifying or building people up. And then we finally saw that you and I are going to be accountable for these things. Can I get an amen on that? Amen? And so it is absolutely a privilege to be a part of the bride of Christ, to serve the bride of Christ, to have the spirit of Christ inside of us, and then to um, give it our best because we are God's children and he is passionate about his church. Now, um, I want to talk about this morning what we're going to call the first fruits principle. And if you put it up, and I'm just going to lay out the one thing I want to say to you, and then we're going to look at this through scripture and watch this unpack. And here's the first fruits principle. If you have notes, you can fill it in there. Jesus expects your best, your first for his mission. Jesus expects your best, your first for his Mission. Now, whenever we teach from the Old Testament, particularly if we're going to teach about something from the Old Testament or Old Covenant law, there are three things that we want to do and we want you to know. And the first is this. Whenever we teach from the law, um, the law has been fulfilled in Christ, and we want you to know that you are not under the law. You are not under the law. It has been completely fulfilled in Christ, and you are under a new law or the law of Christ. Now, there is overlap in these laws, but what you cannot do is go back to the old covenant law and say, I am under this. You are freed from the law. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly for you in your place. There is now a new law, the law of Christ, that you are under that law. And though there's overlap, they are different, okay? So we're going to talk about a principle that we see in the law, but we also will see it's taught outside of the law as well. The second thing you need to know when we talk about something that's in this Old Testament law is that um, the law, every law, by any lawgiver ever given, reveals something about the value and character of the lawgiver. So if I look at you and I say, do not murder, that tells you that I have a high value of human life. And God has said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, which reveals that he values the institution of marriage and sexual purity. He says, do not steal, which means he has a, a value for people owning property and being responsible for that property before himself. And so every law reveals a value of God's. And this morning, we're going to look at this feast or festival of first fruits, and we're going to uncover what God finds valuable. And I'll give you a hint. It is that he expects your first, your best for his mission. We're just going to keep coming back to that. And the third thing we need to ask in any law is this. How does this point to Jesus? Because the, all of the law and all of the prophets are one big fat arrow that point to Jesus, are fulfilled in Jesus. And so here's what I want to help you do. I want to jump into an Old Testament law. Um, I want you to see what God values out of this. And then I want to show you how this points to Jesus in a beautiful and powerful way. Sound good? Yes. Are we here? Yes? Good? Awesome. So your outline is structured that there's five questions I'm going to answer. And we're going to walk through this. And this principle in First Fruits is going to um, unravel before us. And you're going to watch it. There's some surprises we have at the end here. So um, you're going to watch this um, unravel. And so here's the first question that we want to answer. What is First Fruits? Many of you have never heard this before. You're thinking, this is weird. How does it apply to me? Many of you honestly have not read the Old Testament except for what you hear me, me, me preach on. And here's what First Fruits is. First Fruits is an annual celebration held every single spring for the Jews 
um, at the beginning of their grain harvest. So they would plant a whole bunch of stuff, and then in the spring, in April or, or March or April, um, these things would start to harvest. So every year, as soon as there was a harvest, they would do this, they would celebrate first fruits, okay? And <clears throat> God put this in the rhythm of their calendar every single year. Catch this, so that every single generation would know this value of God's, that God expects, Jesus expects, our best, our first for his mission. Now, open up um, in your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Exodus 23, verse 19. Something's happening in my throat, so if I cough a couple times, you'll know why. Exodus 23, 19. And here's what it says. I'll read it for you, and then we'll go back over this. He's talking about the institution of this festival, of this feast, and he says this. This is what I want from you, Old Testament Israel. I want, 19, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And I love how this verse ends. Okay, look at this. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> there are just these little surprises that happen in the Old Testament. It's really kind of fun. That's one of them. And, uh, but every single command reveals to us a value of God, reveals you something about his character, and then points you to, to Jesus. And so here's what I want you to focus on. Here's the first one. The best. Okay? Does God want your second best or your leftovers? The easy answer is you all know this. Say No. No. That into the very system of Jewish life, he wants them to know this. I'm your God, and I want your best, period. No questions asked. I don't want to be second or third or fourth or fifth. I want to be first, and I want your best. And then he goes on. He says, I want the best of what you get, and then I want it to be of your first fruits. Now, most of you aren't farmers in an agricultural society. Maybe some of you are. But in this society, that's what he's saying is this. When you get paid, I want the first of it. When you, when you get paid, when you get your harvest, I want the first of it. And this harvest would come about once a year. It would come over about a 50-day period. And here's his way of saying, at the very beginning of this harvest, here's what I want you to know. I want your best, okay? And I want it first, okay? And then he goes and he gives a little bit more clarity. He says this, um, you shall bring it into the house of the Lord your God. Meaning, I want your best, I want the first, and I want it for my mission, and the house of the tabernacle here in this time became the temple, was the primary place where the mission of God took place, where the people of God were served. Now, in the new covenant, right, Jesus has established the local church to be the primary emphasis of mission where the gospel is brought out into the world where disciples are made. And we look at these values of God, we step back and we say, God wants our best, our first for his mission, and then we look at our lives, and we just step back, and we say, what does he actually get from me? Really? And for most people, it's my third, which is my sort of best on a good day, sometimes for his mission. And, and one of the things that this should do, and every one of us, myself included, is that this should just kind of provoke us a little bit, like stir something uncomfortable in us. Uh, because here's the deal. You and me, okay, well, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I'm an idolater. Uh, I struggle. Like, like, it is amazing how quickly I want to put God second or third or fourth. 
And so God puts this yearly festival in place, in rhythm, so that they are constantly brought back to this place where they say, God, you get my best, the best of me, the first of whatever you give me, I'm giving back to you. Or he actually uses the word, and I like this better, they bring it into the house of God. And the idea of any kind of tithe or offering is you don't give it, you bring it, because how can you give back what isn't yours, okay? The idea is that we're giving back to God what is his, and we're using it the way he's told us to use it. Now, for some of you, this question is coming up in your mind, and we'll address some of these as we go, and you say, well, I tithe to a parachurch. If you don't know what a parachurch is, then you're probably not doing this. So um, if I tithe to a parachurch, is that a tithe? And the Bible does not have any categories for parachurch ministries um, like this, so it's hard to give the most concrete answer, but I think the safest way for every one of us to respond is this. I give my best, I give my first, for his mission, which we know that we know that we know is to the local church. And so we tell people, is, give to parachurches, give as much as you want, be generous, but your tithe, your offering, your financial gift, or your time, or your talents, all of that stuff, you give first and foremost to the local church, and then everything above and beyond that would be called generosity. Um, so many of us look at our tithe as, look how generous I am. This is simply just bringing back what God already told us to bring back. And I would look at anything above and beyond, whatever um, tithe you've decided to pray or to offer to God, uh, anything above and beyond that would then be generosity. And so we tell people is, tithe to your church, be generous to parachurches. Tithe to your church and be generous to parachurches. Um, and for some of you, again, there's a little bit of uncomfort going on right here. And I want to share with you something I just found um, incredibly interesting. And so uh, two days before First Fruits was the festival of Passover. And so the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, right? And they are begging God to free them. God comes in, saves them miraculously, institutes the festival or the feast of, um, of Passover on the 14th of Nisan. And then what he does is two days later, he institutes the festival of first fruits. And in the festival of first fruits, during the first, fruit, first fruits, they were crossing the Red Sea. Isn't that interesting? Now, go back or forward a couple thousand years, and it's Passover, and Jesus Christ is being um, killed on the cross for your sins and for mine. And guess what happens two days later? Well, three days technically, but two days on a, on a, on a weekly calendar on Sunday. Guess what happens? He's risen from the dead. And here's the point, that God himself has given his first fruits, and Jesus is his offering. And so that in the spectrum of things, that Jesus is God's best. He is his first for the mission. And I want you to catch this. And one of the reasons that this principle transcends the law, and we'll see some more examples of that, but is that um, this is just fundamentally how God has made us. And so here's what God wants. He makes every one of us, and he makes us so that we would show forth his character and his glory to everybody. And so one of the issues is that we're sinners and we're marred by that. And God wants to reshape us into the image of Christ, and he wants us to live as he lives. He wants us to be people who, just like himself, give our first and our best for his mission so that as people see our generosity and our faithfulness, they say, why do you do that? And we say, because God has given us his absolute 100% best and I'm made in his image and he has made me to thrive and come alive when I do this. And so we, we do this in such a way that um, represents and shows forth the character um, of God. 
I want to go back um, in time with you to Genesis chapter 4, and uh, it's an interesting little story that shows that even before the law, this principle was in the rhythm of things, and it's the story of Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain was the bad brother, Abel the good brother, and both of them bring an offering to God in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and I want you to listen to the offerings, and I'll give you a little translation here as we go. In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. I'm going to give you like an interpretation right now, meaning uh, he, he gave him whatever he wanted. But there's a difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering. Listen to what it says about Abel. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, meaning he gave his first and his best, and then he even gave above and beyond that in generosity. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now catch this. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, there's a big question on here. Some of us come to church, and we come to our local church, and we give God our second, we give him our leftovers. And what's God's reaction to that? It's interesting because it's, it's not regarded. Um, so we step back and we say, look how great I am. I, I slipped a 20 in the plate. I'm awesome. Um, it's the least I could do. Like if I tried, I couldn't do less. And yet God steps back and says, when you come to Jesus, I want you to catch this. You don't just sprinkle Jesus onto your life and say, oh, I'll add the church into my thing. You reset your life. You start over. From your time, your talents, your treasures, you start completely over, and from the ground up, you build with Jesus as your foundation. And now you look at your time, and you say, all right, if Jesus is first, and I'm going to give him my best for his mission, what does that look like? And then you look at all your talents, your skills, all the stuff you're good at, and you say, if I'm going to build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, what has to change? And now I look at my money, my standard of living, all the stuff I do, all the fun I have, which isn't fundamentally bad, but, um, but is it first or second? And you look at your money and you say, what does this really look like? If I'm going to reset my life, if I'm going to come to Christ and really do this thing from the ground up, he's going to rebuild you from the ground up in your time, your talents, and your treasures. And that's hard. That is hard. But Jesus is not about just saving you so you can get a out of, get out of free hell card and leaving it at that. He wants to build a church of people whose lives are built on the solid rock and foundation of Jesus Christ in every aspect of their lives, in every aspect. And money is one of the hardest things to do this and totally understands that. But I want you to catch this principle. Jesus expects your best, your first for his mission. Question number two, what was given in first fruits specifically? And it's very simply the best in the first, 10% of everything, of oil, wine, grain, flocks, fleece, honey, produce, you name it. 10% um, was is literally what tithe means, although. And you'll see as we get to the end here that there's a little bit different of a New Testament paradigm of how much. So don't get hung up on the 10% right now. Just understand that under the law that this is what God instituted for the Jewish people to do. And so some of you are stepping back and you're saying that is way too much. Like, not a fan. And here's a, a little one-liner I want to help you just remember. It's very easy. My standard of living is determined by my standard of giving. That rhymes. That's pretty sweet, okay? My standard of living is determined 
by my standard of giving. Meaning, you go before the Lord and you say, you get my best, my first for your mission, and then everything else after that is what I have to live on, if you will. Now, I want to share with you an illustration that I think is really helpful here. I want you to imagine that um, you and your spouse are going on vacation. If you're married or if you're single, just imagine you have a spouse. Um, you're going on vacation. And your friend calls you up and says, hey, our car broke down, and um, we would love to use your call, car while you're gone on vacation. And you say, because you're generous and you love your friend, sure, I'd love to let you use my car. And you say to them, on one condition, can you just pick me up from the airport on the way home? And they say, sure, we would love to do that. So uh, they use your car, and the week goes by. There's no scratches or dents, and they come pick you up, and you're going home, and uh, you're going to drop them off at their house. And, and they say, hey, um, my wife and I, we've been praying. And we just want to let you know that we have decided that we are going to allow you to use this car one week out of the month, the first week. And you're like, it's my car. What are you talking about? Like, you don't get to tell me when I get to use my car. No, we prayed about it. We're serious. Like, we've decided, and the Lord has really put it heavy on our hearts, that we want to be really generous to you. And uh, we want you to know that you're allowed to use the car. And at this point, you're like bashing your head against the window. You're like, no, you don't understand. Get out of the driver's seat. This is my car. I let you use it. You don't get to make up the rules. I own this car. No, we prayed about it, and we're pretty serious about this. And I think this is how God feels about how a lot of Christians go about um, thinking about offering and tithe and times and treasures and talents as we step back and we're like, it's mine. Lord, what of my money would you like me to give back to you? And, and here's the principle you don't own anything. You, you don't own anything. There is nothing, nothing, zero that you have that has not been given to you, period. So you're like, oh, I worked hard for this and my personality is winsome and I had the job and I sold the stuff and whatever. And like, you have the body you have, the personality you have, the home you have, the spouse you have, the skills you have, only because God has determined in his providence to give it to you. You have nothing and every opportunity that opened itself up before you so you could promote and get more and more money and bigger and bigger jobs, every single opportunity was orchestrated by the providential sovereign hand of God. So no, you don't have anything, actually. You have only what God has given you, period. And I love this idea of we, we don't give God our money. We bring back to God what is already his. We play by his rules because it's his. And yet many of us are driving around in God's car. It's been on loan to us, and we act like we own this. We, and, and honestly, some of us, like the car is scratched and dented. The tires are low. The gas is empty. And it's like, would you ever do this to a friend's car? And yet we do this to our God consistently. That's mind-blowing. Like if you get that in your head, it will revolutionize the way you think about money. How is it given? First, the best 10% of absolutely everything. Number three, how were they given? How were first fruits given? Um, three words for you. This is going to be a no-brainer. Firstly. <laughs> you like that? Like first, before anything else. Leviticus 23.14 says this. God's helping them think about this. And he says, You shall eat neither bread nor grain parched nor fresh grain until this same day until you have brought the offering of your God. And here's what he's saying. Before you go buy your cable, before you go out to eat, before you go on vacation, before you determine your standard of living, you determine before you and your God, what is my best, what is my first, and what is for his mission. You give that to him, and then everything else. The second word is frequently. 
And here's the idea, as often as you have provision. So as often as they received a harvest, they would bring a first fruits offering. So some of you get paid weekly, bi-monthly, monthly, yearly, whatever that looks like. And the reason that God does this upon provision is so that it never gets to our head. So that into the very system of our life, into the very rhythm of our receiving our money or our income, we get right away every single time first fruits. God is put into the very rhythm of my life that he is best and first. I don't do anything until I make sure that in my agreement between me and God, he gets what is due in my time, my treasure, and my talents. It's not just money. I hope you see this isn't really just about money. This is about an entire life paradigm where from the ground up, Jesus first, everything else second. Number three is, I love this, happily. Like this was a celebration. He didn't say, have a solemn assembly where you with mourning and grieving bring all of your money and say, woe is me, ashes and sackcloth, rip my head, have a, like, no. Like, this is a celebration where people come and they say, God, you're amazing. Like, you have blessed us so much. I can't even believe, like, I want to give you more. And there are some people who are so amazed by God's goodness that he gives them opportunity for greater provision. Objection. This is inconvenient and impedes on my present standard of living. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you to go back to your standard of living and start over. Some things you can't, right? Let's be honest. There's some things you're in long-term commitments, and this is just the nature of sometimes God allows us to make foolish decisions where we reap the consequences for years and years and years. But there are a number of things that into the very system of our life that we can press the reset button on. And if I know that I have the opportunity to reset something that is not giving God my best, my first, for his mission, why would I not do it? Why would I not do it? And the only reason I can find up in my heart that holds me back from doing this is because I am selfish. I love me. I love my fun. I love my hobbies. I love doing what I want. I'm telling you as a man, I'm just speaking from my heart. I love me. And my love for myself always gets in the way of me giving God my best, my first for his mission. Always. It's uncanny. Number four, why was this commanded? Two reasons. Number one, to remember their source. So that God's people never, ever, ever forgot the source of all their strength and of all their wealth. When they came out of Egypt... Uh, God instituted the Passover on the 14th of Nisan. And then what he did is he allowed them to plunder all the Egyptians as they left. So these poor, destitute slaves who have nothing to their name and they're running for their lives, barely able to bring anything with them, now are leaving Egypt with gold and silver and all of this stuff. And they did not work for a single dime of it. And then God institutes first fruits and he says, now give back. Because I want you to understand every time you give, I want you to go back to this moment that everything you have, you don't deserve, you didn't work for, you've done nothing apart from what I've done for you and given it to you. And he institutes this um, right at the heart of this, right in that moment. And so they get to the Red Sea and the 16th of Nisan, um, they end up going through the Red Sea and they remember, number two in your notes, their salvation. That uh, the date of first fruits was the date where they went through the Red Sea. Isn't that cool? And so they get there and they look at this huge like wall of water and they say, what are we going to do? There's no hope. There's no hope at all whatsoever. 
And God comes through in a miraculous, profound way. And on first fruits, they go through. And it's a reminder that God is your source. He is your strength. He is your provision. He is your salvation. And although it looks insurmountable, we trust him and we believe in him. We do first fruits from the beginning to the end of our life because he is worth it. And he always gives us what we need to do what he asks us to do. That's it. And I love this. They look at the Red Sea. And this is like debt for many of you. You're like, there's no way we're going to get around this. And God just has a way of coming through in exactly how we need it. Number one, to remember your your source and to remember your salvation. I love this line. Somebody said, saved people give first fruits. Saved people give first fruits. Let that one sink in. Why should I give my first and my best for Jesus' mission? Let me give you four reasons. Number one, to display God's blessings. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 say this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, some ridiculous Christians have come along and said, um, look, if you give God money to the church, he'll make you rich. And they'll go to a text like this. Does God promise to give you more money and make you rich if you give generously to the church? Say no, please. No, okay. Um, That this is a passage of scripture that reveals the value of God, but it's written for the Old Testament, Old Covenant people of Israel. And so I'm not gonna go to this and I'm not gonna claim that God's gonna make me rich because I gave generously. But the New Testament does tell us what we can accept to reap bountifully if we sow bountifully. In 2 Corinthians chapter nine, I wanna read this for you. It starts in verse six and says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's just logical. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then he goes and he starts talking about what is the harvest that you as a Christian should expect to receive if you are going to sow generously. And he's talking, by the way, sowing and reaping financially, but what you reap is not necessarily financial. And in verses 10, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11, he tells you what we reap. He says, he who supplies God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What's the harvest? What do you reap when you sow generously? When God has control of your time, your treasures, your talents, what do you reap? Christ-likeness, righteousness. This is the longing, by the way, of the Christian heart. I want to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be like Jesus, right? And so we step back and we say, you mean I can get the longing of my heart if I sow generously and God gets this part of my life? Well, apparently for Paul, that's one of the benefits. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what's the harvest when God enriches you? Righteousness, Christ-likeness, and thanksgiving. Have you met a thankful person who's a miser, by the way? Like, part of this idea of thanksgiving is that it comes with joy and gratitude. It's not just this simple little word. There's a whole experience that comes with this. And we say, I want to be like Jesus, and I want Christ-likeness, and I want peace and joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. And there's this interesting thing that happens is that when we take whatever blessings we have, whatever God has allowed us to have, and we bring back to him a portion of that, there is something inside of us when we give him our best and our first for his mission that produces 
Christ-likeness in us, and that produces thanksgiving in us, and it breaks the strongholds of stinginess and greediness and all of those ugly things that happen when we try to protect our money. Number two, what happens? Why should I do this? To display my commitment to Jesus. And so what happens when you decide to give God regularly from your first, your best for his mission, is that you are continually displaying your commitment to Jesus. You're continually saying, I'm all in. Because the trajectory and the tendency of every believer is to walk away and to wander. And every time one of the greatest enemies of our heart is stuff, can I get an amen? Amen. And anytime we get stuff, we are prone to say, mine, 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 mine. What can I do with this? What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? And God says, whoo. That great enemy of your heart, first fruits. Whatever you've gotten, give God your best, your first for his mission. And it protects us, and it's a continual display of our commitment to Jesus. Number three, to display repentance to Jesus. In the book of Nehemiah, God's people had um, fallen away from God, started disobeying um, the word of God, had stopped um, giving back the tithe and a whole bunch of other things. The house of God was in need. The people did not have what they needed to do what God had asked them to do. And here's what they say. Here's how they um, repented and made things right with God. They said this, We obligate ourselves, Nehemiah 10.35, We obligate ourselves, to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all, of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord, we will not neglect the house of our God. And so for them, they came back and said, we're gonna repent. We're not just gonna repent and raise up our hand and come to the front in a service. We're actually gonna say, God, I'm changing my life. I'm building my life on you. And you know what they did as a sign of their repentance? They got their finances in order. Isn't that interesting? They got their finances in order. They got their life in order by putting, giving to Jesus their first and their best for his mission. Some of you have walked away from Jesus, and this is there's no greater display of commitment to Jesus than regularly giving him of your time, talents, treasures, your first and your best for his mission. The fourth one is to display Jesus' faithfulness for generations. In Exodus 13, when he institutes it, uh, the first fruits, um, it's interesting because it's a new concept um, in terms of how Jesus applied it to the nation. And the idea here is that a kid is going to go up to his dad and he's going to say, hey, dad, you do realize that you kill the best of all of our food, right? And you give it away to God. Like, that, why do you do that? And the act and this whole institution, right, should be kind of strange to our children. And here's what he says. When your kids come up to you and ask you, why do you do this? Why are you so obsessed with giving God your best, your first for his mission? Here's what he says. Exodus 13, 14. And when in time to come, your son, come, in time to come, your son asks you, Dad, what does this mean? You shall say to him. By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males, and first op- that, all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. A different process, same idea. And it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And one day you're teaching your kids how to handle their allowance or their piggy bank and, and they come to you and say, Dad, why do I give X amount of money? Or Mom, why do I give X amount of money to God? And here's what you do. You stop and you say, I want to tell you a story. 
your dad, your mom, I was far from Jesus. And, and let me tell you something. I thought I owned my life. I thought I was king of the castle. I thought I was in control. But God showed himself to me, and he showed me that I'm a sinner, and that apart from him, I deserve hell. And he showed me how much he loves me, and he gave me Jesus Christ. And when I was far from him, and when I didn't believe in him, when I was running from him, he invaded my life, and he gave me forgiveness of sins and faith to believe in him, and he changed my life. God has given me everything, and he has shown me that he has saved me. And at the very least, I step back and I say, God, everything I have is yours. Thank you for saving me. And I want to give you, I want to build every part of my life that Jesus is my best, my first for, my, for his mission. I want to do everything, time, treasures, talents. How could I not? Because literally apart from him, I have nothing. And your son or your daughter, they see this and they are literally changed because that story will change their whole perspective. So you don't come and say, yeah, God says give me 10% or give me 12% or 2%. I guess I got to do it. I want God to be mad at me. We come in and we say, God has saved me. How could I not? I get the privilege of being a part of supporting his bride, the church, and, and, and being a part of mobilizing his bride to fulfill his mission through my generosity. Like, this is a beautiful privilege, and it's a testimony for generation to generation. So what? I want to give you the New Covenant, New Testament uh, expectations of tithing. Some of you are saying, so do I have to give 10%, 25%, 2%? And 2 Corinthians chapter um, 9, verse 7, gives us um, the very simple paradigm. I love this. Here it says, number one, we give or bring to God prayerfully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So we go back to you, and rather than mandating law down your throat, we go back and say, this is an age, a time, a covenant where the Spirit is in us and is leading us to obedience. So I go back to you and I say, pray. You get on your knees and say, God, everything I have is from you, and what do you want me to bring back to you? My best, my first for your mission. And you start with your time. You look at your talents, your skills, your stuff you like to do, and then you go to your treasure, your money, and you say, God, it's all of you, and what, what do you want? And if you're married, you pray about it together, and we have a funny little rule. We say, um, usually it's the spouse who's a little more generous, the wife who's a little more generous, and we say, okay, husbands, if you say two and she says 12, you go with the wife, because usually the more generous person is led by the Spirit. So um, anyways, but we, we go before the Lord, and we pray about it, and we say, what do you want? What do you want? And we do whatever that conclusion might be, no matter how hard it might be. And 10%, some of you are thinking, oh man, that's just so much. Honestly, like, I don't know where God is going to lead you. Like, some of you might be in so much debt over your eyeballs, you don't even know how to get out of it, and you might start with 1%. And I'm literally not here to judge your 1% at all. That might be all you have, okay? And one of the greatest, I think, encouragements I've given to people is if you're overwhelmed and you can't see any way out, start small. And then you just slowly, every six months, increase it by a half a percent. And just, just slow. And work your way to where you feel God wants you to be. Some of you, the Lord will just convict you. And he's going to say, reset now, start over. Here's what I want you to deal with it. Cancel your cable. Cancel your magazine subscriptions. You drink half a Starbucks or Panera. Eat out one time less a month at an expensive restaurant or something. He'll just put something on your heart. And he might say, just do it now. 
I think God is just so gracious with us. He is so patient with us. And I think what he wants is to see trajectory. So for some of you, this is going to be a slow process. For some of you, the Holy Spirit is just knocking you over the head saying, grow up, get all in, figure this thing out. I know it's hard. If Israel can face the Red Sea, you can face this. I got you, okay? And I don't know where the Lord's going to lead you at, but um, here, prayerfully. Number two is excitedly. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you don't want to give, let me just say this. If you don't want to give, don't. Okay? Like, literally, this is not about you. I'm going to guilt you. I, I hope there's no guilt whatsoever in anything I'm saying. I just hope that the Holy Spirit's doing what he has to do in your heart. Because I'm not here to tell you 10 or 20 or 30 or 2 or 4 or 6.55%. I'm just here to say, go before the Lord. And whatever he says to do, man, you do it with a spirit of joy. And you do it like this. God, you have saved me from everything. How could I not? And you, I love that we connect our, our offering often in, between the word of God or in worship. And it's just an opportunity to lift up our voices and say, I love you. Um, I'm just bringing back what you gave to me anyways. My standard of living is based on my standard of, of giving. Number three, we do it firstly. I know that's like whole first fruits first. And we do it frequently as often as you receive any kind of income. Um, a couple things I want to share with you, just some uh, details. Uh, some of you auto bill pay, and uh, this is just, let's get down to some like brass tacks and give you some helpful so what's. We love auto bill pay. I'm going to tell you why we love it. Because it puts it into the rhythm of things. It makes it so you don't have to continually go back and like second guess whether or not you're going to do it. It's just in your system of giving. Um, auto bill pay allows for frequency, it allows you to make it first. It allows it for it to be regular, um, and it's very helpful for the church. So summer comes, and people who give cash or checks oftentimes giving, and almost every church goes like this. Actually, last summer, we talked about this, and last summer, our giving did not go down at all. It was actually pretty amazing how Village Church approached giving differently. So we get a number of auto bill pays. Love those. Some of you give via third parties like PayPal, and many of you have asked, why don't you do like giving kiosks and stuff like that? I'll tell you why. We don't like them because they take a lot of money. And I hate giving some third party like two or four or five percent of money that you have specifically prayed and set aside and given to God. So some of you actually got giving reports back. Yes, we do that. And you got your giving report. And you're like, I gave way more than this. We're like, yeah, but that's what we got. And it was kind of frustrating. And so what I would encourage you to do, if it's at all possible, is go to your bank. Most banks offer auto bill pay. It takes the emotional challenge. I'll be honest. I don't even have, I don't even have to think about it. I made a decision, okay? And it's, it's there, it's regular, it's in. And I'm not battling every week when the offering plate comes, should I or shouldn't I, I got this bill coming. I mean, it's like, it's in the rhythm of my life and that's a protection that I put in place. Whether we like it or not, this is becoming increasingly less and less a cash and check society. Um, auto bill pay is a great way to do it. Um, the company that we do our mortgage through, their name is Thrivent Financial, and they have an app. It's a third-party app that is completely free that they give to churches that they work with. And basically what you can do, it's an app on your phone, and uh, it allows you, if you don't have auto bill pay, to do that through them, and they do it for you for zero cost whatsoever, which is pretty great. And uh, in the meantime, though, you got to just figure out, for some of you, like, you need to actually write a check or to put cash in there. Like, that's an actual act of worship in a very special way. I want to continue to encourage that. But as summer comes, just want to encourage you guys, ministry doesn't stop. In fact, ministry ramps up. So as you guys have already committed, just continue that generosity and figure out ways to make that um, regular. Now, I want to talk and close with you about what we handed out last week. So I want to ask the ushers to come forward. And if they can come forward and give every human being in the church that is sixth grade and above this pamphlet.
So last week we said we don't want to just tell you, serve, give. We actually want to build bridges for you to make it as easy, easy as humanly possible. Um, give one to every person. So spouses, you get one too, not just one per couple. And we wanted to make this as easy as possible. And many of you came back and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for this. We have been wondering. We did not know what was going on. And so what I want to do with you is I want to build bridges for you on a financial level to be generous so you can actually obey. But I also want to build bridges for each one of us to be able to give um, our time and our talents in a very purposeful way and know what's going on. Um, as we shared last week, if you weren't here last week or you didn't listen to the sermon, I'll give you a brief um, overview. Starting the second week of September, we're changing our service times to 9.30 and 11. We're going to be having full children's church in both services, and what we need are some people to step up um, who have not been previously stepping up and start to engage and to, to serve. And what you'll hear a lot on the beginning of the first page at the very top in blue, it says, attend one, serve one. And many of my good friends who are pastors, this is like standard for their church plans. If you're going to uh, be in their church, you attend a service, and then you go to a church a service. And so what we want to ask is that everybody in the church would seriously, prayerfully consider attending one and serving one. And I want to go through this very quickly with you. If you open it up, you'll see on the red page there, Village Kids Ministry. And if we're going to do this, we need a few more people to jump into some strategic positions. Um, and there are rotating positions that many of you are already in right now, but there's one um, strategic difference that we're changing coming September. And that is uh, we are going to, in every hour that we have a service, in every class, we're going to put two people, two teachers in that class who are going to meet every single week at the same hour for nine months, so from September to May, so that these kids can get focused discipleship um, and the parents can have a relationship with the person in each class. And so some of you, um, some families have come up to me already and said, hey, I would like my family and my older sons or daughters, we'd like to do this as a family. We'd actually like to take a class and disciple these kids um, and then also you'd work with another person or family who would come alongside of you for that class. And it's an interesting opportunity for those of you who families who are already discipling and you want to jump into maybe your son or daughter's class and then you could team with, with another person. So that way there'd be about two or three teachers every single week and you could do a rotation so you're not teaching every week. But the kids actually get a point person every week who's their leader. The parents know exactly who they're working with. And Nate Wells is going to be helping um, uh, put this system together so we can launch it in um, September. So some of you, um, you got this last week and you've been praying and you're like, I really feel like the Lord wants me to commit to um, fours and fives during the 9 a.m. service starting all next year. And then you'd go to the um, 11 o'clock um, service and so vice versa. Uh, if you go to the next page, you'll see our first impressions team. This is in the blue. This is greeters, ushers, parking, gathering, coffee, cafe, hospitality team. Um, it takes roughly 50 to 70 people to make a Sunday morning function so you can sit here and participate in worship, participate in teaching, um, eat food, drink coffee, experience any kind of hospitable environment here. That's how many people it takes on a Sunday morning to make this thing function and work. And so um, our First Impressions team, I just love them, and we need to um, get some more people for that. Our Sunday Experience team is in the orange. It's our worship band, Sound AV, Communion Prep team. If you go to Village Awana, some of you are not able to serve on a Sunday morning. Various things hold you back. Um, and Village Awana is on Monday nights from 6.30 to 8. Um, we're expecting roughly 200 kids every Monday night, um, the majority of those from our community. And so we want to be very faithful to bring the gospel to them. And uh, so this is an opportunity for some of you, if you can't do it on a Sunday morning, a Monday night is an opportunity to attend one and serve one. And then if that doesn't work, they're on the next page are the green um, section, which is our weekday teams, our 
connections team, design and tech team, and general administrative support. These are just all things that are all strategic and a part of the, the, the ministry of the Village Church that require people to do it. And so we would love if you would prayerfully commit to serving. And here's what's going to happen. Um, there's, it says here, volunteer service form. Fill that out. And there are three options on there. And we said this last week. The question is not, what is the only ministry I will serve in? But what does the church need, and how am I skilled or gifted to do it? And we put on here, choose three things. Uh, can't promise you'll get your first choice. Can't, just don't know. Um, if you all want my job, that might be a little challenging, you know, so we'll work that out. Um, but put on there um, three things that you're willing to do. Specify what it is, hours. I mean, feel free. I know some of you have schedules. And, and then we'll, here's what we commit to doing. We're going to follow up with everyone who gives us one of these within 10 days. Um, on Tuesday night, we have some key leaders in the church. We're going to go through all of these, and we're going to designate to follow up with specific people for specific things. So you should get followed up with within 10 days. And we're going to spend this summer helping you figure out what does it mean to on-ramp into that ministry? Um, some of them start in the summer or in September. Some of them are going to start a little bit sooner. Uh, but for the most part, we're looking to have all of these filled by the second week of September. So you'll get a phone call, and then they'll explain to you what are some next steps, how do we train you and get you ready for what these different things are. Sound good? Now, if you're already serving in a ministry, assume that that position is staying there. This is mostly about people who are not serving or have time to add something else um, or who want to do different Thanks. So I want to invite the um, worship team to come up, and as they do, um, I want to pray and uh, just submit this before the Lord. If you're not able to turn this in today, which we would greatly appreciate so we can get our heads around some of this stuff, um, take your time, and uh, when you're ready, we will have somebody follow up with you. So turn it in when you are ready, but today would be um, excellent. Let's pray together. Father, um, lots of stuff that we covered, and uh, I just want to say first and foremost, um, we have nothing apart from you, like nothing. We would be dead in hell had you not preserved us and given us life and given us salvation. God, despite our rebellion, while we were yet enemies, you have loved us and pursued us. And at the right time, as we ran far away from you very quickly, you saved us. You gave us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe. And so God... Um, this is nothing short of profound and life-changing. God, I know your spirit is working very differently in every person. For some of us, it's about serving. Some of us, it's about giving. For some of us, it's just about pressing the reset button and finally being all in. And so, God, I thank you that you are a gracious, gentle, patient, clear God. So, Lord, would you lead us? And for some of us, you need to drag us and kick us in the rear. For some of us, we just need a gentle nudging, and we will obey. But God, our desire is to be like Christ, to obey you, to know you, and to bring glory to Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would move each of us this morning, even just one step closer to giving you our first, our best for your mission. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.